Hey everyone, welcome to the next episode of Cloud Do You Do, the podcast that is focused on real-life benefits of cloud technologies. The podcast is delivered by Revolji. I'm JJ and there is my colleague. And I'm Vlad. And we are here with Karel Šimánek from Big Hub. Karla, welcome. Hi guys, how are you doing? Thanks very much for inviting me. Yeah, we are also happy to happy have, to have you. you. How are you, Karla, today? Everything fine? Yeah, there were like some events yesterday, but yeah, I'm fine and looking forward to your questions. <laughs> super, super. So let's start a little bit about your company. Uh, we know that uh, Big Hub was founded seven years ago in 2016. You are actually the CEO of that company and you are helping customers with, you know, leveraging the AI solutions. Can you give us some example? What are you actually doing? You know, what is the output of, 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 of your work? Uh, thanks for this tricky question. You know, uh, my parents usually ask me for the same thing, but I think uh, till now I couldn't like, I, I haven't been able to explain it to them as well, but I think let's start with like a very first like introductory case that we, I think we've started with that. I think we couldn't call it AI because that buzzword did not exist that much, you know, seven years ago. So it was like kind of like ML that time or some advanced analytics. <laughs> Yeah, but uh, I think one of our first clients, I think it was the first one. It's like a very big uh, energy distributor of the gas here in Czech Republic. I think they are like international as well. Uh, yeah, we got a reference, so it's it's energy, uh, Czech Republic. And I think they are operating like a gas pipeline network, you know, like uh, almost like they are covering like 80% of the Czech Republic here. And, you know, We've been like a company of like two to three people at a time, you know, we haven't even had like the offices. So, and they ask us, uh, we are finding uh, some suboptimalities, you know, in, um, you know, in the maintenance and the operations. And I think we are like burning like a lot of money in, in, into it, you know, and they were trying, maybe, can you, can you try to check it? Because we are not working with the data that much, you know, so there were like, kind of like silos, you know, everywhere, you know, so it was like silos of CRM, workforce, uh, uh, operations from, from the from the sensors. Uh, I think uh, in that it's, it's called uh, something like the telemetric data, doesn't matter. And uh, they, they had like a couple of questions, you know, the first thing they had like, uh, uh, they, they had like many regions in Czech Republic and basically they had some, some people that were like maintaining the network, like of, of the gas pipelines. And uh, they were like, first thing, because if something has been broken on the edge of, uh, of the region, you know, and there were like someone on the, on the other, on the other end, in the, in the other region, uh, he was like prohibited to go uh, to the other one, you know, so that, that was like the first thing that maybe uh, they couldn't like recognize, you know, on, on their own, but maybe they just simplified. <laughs> And they told us, first thing, just try to do some optimization, just try to make, uh, evaluate the efficiency, you know, what these regions are bringing, you know, whether it's better to have them or just to just to get rid of them or maybe just to re reduce them or whatever. And uh, yeah, so that, that was the first task. So basically we did some, we ran some optimization jobs. I think it's like kind of the, the area that is called like operational research. So you are running some optimization with like many uh, arguments, many parameters. And uh, we realized that, you know, getting rid of like these uh, uh, regions, 
you know, we were like going one by one and reusing them. I think we afforded something like up to 47%, you know, savings. You know, that was the first thing. We also like worked with, for instance, the uh, some some parameters because one thing that might happen was uh, that maybe one of the workers he has like eight hours you know workday and you know if he is like a very nearby uh, to uh, to a point where he needs to fix something but you know it's it's almost over time is up you know he so he needs to go back so he will stop and you know next day he needs to take the long distance to the to the point where he stopped before. You know, so that was like kind of tricky. So we suppose we we propose them to use something like a flexible a flexible working hours. So if he will spend you know 30 minutes more that day, he can save it for for another time. And it was like even more complex because we were trying, uh, we were we were trying to um, uh, also operate with the sensors because like the older gas network was like um, covered by some. Uh, Many, many kind of the sensors, including some uh, some uh, pressure and so on and so forth. And we were trying to predict something that might happen in the future because you know what was like very urgent for them was some some errors, some something that you know might cause some um, you know urgencies or failures or even like the leakage of of the gas. And so we were running from from the other side. We're also running something like a predictive uh, maintenance for the gas network. So we were like trying to investigate whether okay there is like eighty percent chance that this particular you know piece of pipe will be broken in the future. And we were like trying to even like include you know these uh, tasks into their you know orders or just in, in, into their plan. So it was like even more and more savings and even. <laughs> And yeah, another thing was uh, basically they had some people on the other side, and they were waiting for for some for some workers to maybe um, attach them to the network, you know. And uh, you know, it's it's kind of like with like some transportation companies, you know, we, we will be there, you know, between eight to eight, and you know, you need to work right. So there was like even some more adaptive planning. So we were even able to somehow um, achieve something like a one hour slot and some other stuff. So yeah, that was like a very typical example of our work. So we are like trying to make it holistic. So if you will tell us, you know, some some domain of, of, of the data or expertise or, or, or the business, I think we can take it holistically. And we are trying, you know, to bring the solution that will cover it from, from the all sides. If it does. Nice. Makes sense to you guys. <laughs> yeah, actually, it's much more. I would say, you know, possible to to to, to visual visualize. You know, what are the impacts of of, of your works? Thanks for that. Uh, I'm thinking. You know, you've been explaining real, you know, life examples and impacts. So may maybe let's jump for a little bit different topic and go a little bit to the clouds, and you know, talk about trends because we cannot, you know. Cannot not to ask about the you know, trend around the chat GTP, you know, and all the stuff around this big, you know, boom, I would say right now. So, you know, how you see this from your perspective as, let's say, you know, expert in this field? Yeah, that, that's, uh, I think most of the experts hate it, you know, <laughs> uh, because it, it generated like a hype that is not that pleasant for everyone because there's like a, you know, in general, generative AI, which is the name of like this kind of the discipline, maybe slightly more general than the chat GPT, which is just the text based like these days. I think GPT for like we made even some improvements there, uh, you know, taking like a 
very huge amount of you know uh, business or the opportunities or even you know uh, uh, the visibility in general <laughs> and you know there are other things that are somehow overlooked and uh, yeah of course like we are not focusing only on this kind of thing you know but i think 90 percent of, of the things that we are doing are like quite quite different uh so yeah that's on one side it's kind of pity but on the other side i think it's like a very nice you know promo for for the ai uh, and the things around it so the good thing is basically it's it created something like a fomo so basically fear of missing so everyone even those customers that were like kind of like old, old school like these days and were not like trying to invest you know in in ai ml or this kind of stuff uh are trying you know on one side, they're trying to make some savings, you know, because there are like huge layoffs, you know, cut, cut, uh, budget cuts and, and these kind of things for, for the corporation, our clients. Uh, uh, but, you know, the good thing also, thanks to the chat GPT, uh, I can say that, you know, the, there is still like a budget for like these kind of things. So basically, these companies are willing to invest because they are fearing that they will miss something. So that's, that's quite cool, right? And Karel, do you see this basically as a as a promotion basically for the AI services? Do you think that ChatGPT right now coming into the market is going to promote even more the, the services in the AI industry? Hey, uh, yes or no, yes or no. Because, you know, it's bringing more and more abstraction in general. So basically, if you do, do not need any, like, I would say, customizations, which is typically the case for uh, 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 thankfully, <laughs> I would say, uh, yeah, uh, it's just the API, so every developer can handle it. Maybe even like less experienced users can handle it uh, through some kind of exp uh, interface. I think there are like plenty of those like these days. And yeah, so the integration and the AI work, you know, reduces to something like the software integration. You know, so it's kind of you know. Uh, something reducing the, the, the field of the opportunities, but on the other side, most of the companies need to, you know, customize like these models, like these GPT or GPT models, like for their domain, for the, you know, they need to bring the information that are, you know, GPT does not know them. So basically they need to customize it. And, you know, this is not that simple or, okay, it's not that hard, but, you know, it's not just the standard software development. So that, that's, that's the thing. Okay, okay, cool. So we are in the moment of, let's say, big boom of chat GTP. Uh, this is the, you know, right now. What is in the future? That's the question. You've been also, you know, proposing to discuss the topic of singularity. So maybe let's start with that. What does it mean, you know, singularity in, in, in the world of, of AI? I think it's it's kind of the same thing, you know, from from the '90s, you know. So so this term, you know, um, I think it was brought from science fiction books. I think it went, they were like written in '80s, '90s. Uh, even like Karol Chapek, you know, the Czech author here in uh, in everywhere, you know, mentioned something like this. So it's like for Vlad, I think he's he's quite he's quite famous here. <laughs> Uh, yeah, and it ended with the metrics, you know, so something something like this is happening. So the singularity in general means that, you know, uh, these models, AI tools or machines in general will somehow start to overthink or, you know, out, I would say outsmart, you know, uh, the people in, in, in very generic uh, tasks, you know, because the models that we are having are 
better than humans, but for a certain domain, for certain tasks. But this means, you know, it will be able to self-learn, it will be able to generalize the information, and it will be able to somehow, you know, uh, basically answer any kind of the task that we are used to. So that's... Mm -hmm. I think this is this is definitely a fascinating topic, especially for me. So maybe the first questions, you know, from GTP to singularity, do you see on this, you know, road, you know, some key milestones which needs to happen? You know, and second question is how, how to handle it from the let's say security perspective. Uh, uh, yeah, GPT, you know, this this topic does exist, you know, a few years ago. You know, both has changed that basically they slightly changed the approach because before that it was like, I would say, very high precise mathematical approach, you know, with like some recurrent neural networks or whatever. And basically they change it a little bit just to be able to paralyze the information and, you know, to be able to push more and more data into it. So that was like the biggest. Uh, so the thing that uh, was created was something like, uh, I think it's called Transformer. So instead of LSTM networks, I think they are like kind, kind of like a transformers. And this is like a brute force approach. So for me, it was quite like a step back a little bit, at least. Put more, uh, you know, uh, computer power and put more data into it. You know, that, that was the game changer. And obviously they, they seemed, okay, maybe we, we got a path and maybe nobody knows whether this will like continue or not. Uh, GPT-4 made slightly less improvements that I anticipated. So we'll see whether it's like exponential grow or, or not. <laughs> I'm slightly disappointed, but definitely it's better, but not that I, I, I anticipated slightly more. But back to your question, I think, you know, the things that needs to happen in the future is basically just to be able to generalize uh, uh, these kind of like uh, neural networks that are behind, you know, these uh, these algorithms. The first thing is, I think it should happen exactly the same uh, way as it happens, you know, in the human brain, because like neural networks, you know, are trying to mimic what is happening in the, in the uh, in the human brain. And uh, the first thing that is happening there, that you know, for for the particular task, you are using like particular part of the, your brain. You know, and, and you know, if, if, you, if you are like somehow trying to infer something from your neural network, the whole network is being typically used. So this is the first thing, you know, so this will slightly reduce the computational, uh, computational power and, um, and it will help also to generalize. Uh, the another thing is, I think this is mostly happening almost, is what I mentioned, you know, multitasking. So basically a different type of the task should be served by the single network, single algorithm. Self-learning is the case for some time because we know that there are like some algorithms that can self-learn, you know, but if we can teach uh, like these kind of kind of algorithms like ChatGPT or GPT itself, you know, to self-learn, that would be like uh, amazing, you know. I think it was anticipated that it's going to be a part of GPT-4 already. It's not. So hopefully the next version. <laughs> yeah. Other, other other thing is uh, it should handle also like different uh, modalities. You know, uh, you knew you know that uh, GPT four can handle like two modalities. It can handle like images, uh, the same way as it can handle the text, both way on the input and output. You know, this is the this is the start, and uh, def definitely as human uh, are doing these things, uh, these algorithms need to include all modalities. Uh, that's 
And of course, like the huge limitation of uh, the neural networks, also GDP, GPT, it's these networks need to learn, contextualize and generalize the information. That is like a huge limitation of every algorithm that we are using these days. So, yeah. That's, that's it. Carol, maybe since you are an expert right in the field, and I think this is going to be a curiosity for all our listeners, can you predict somehow how much time we still have until we will discuss about self-learning algorithms? Because I think this is a, you know, not necessarily an issue, but it's a concern basically for everybody these days. Are we going yeah, to be led by by robots or let's say artificial intelligence models? Yeah, as, as I said, you know, uh, it was even anticipated that it could be a part of GPT-4 that has been already released, or at least not publicly, but at least privately. So maybe maybe another year. So yeah, uh, but that does not mean that it's gonna be you know uh, AGI or some some singularity. You know, I think we still got the time for it. I think uh, in those like science fiction books, it, it was mentioned like 2030, and I think that that's realistic. Uh, one of the books, you know, which I've uh, read about about AI is um, from Nick Bostrom, and I think he's, you know, trying to, to you know, let's say, yeah. he is asking these questions to some expert, and, you know, let's say the median of the answer was, was around 2050s, so let's see. Uh, yeah. uh, Karle, maybe last question from my side in this blog. Uh, the another block will be more handled by Vlad. But maybe, hmm. can you imagine if we get the singularity, three, you know, main impacts of that to the, to the let's say, society, you know, business, technology in general. Maybe let's discuss both positive and negatives. Do you have something yeah. in, your, in your head? <laughs> that, that's quite like philosophical topic. You know, I, I'm reading, you know, a lot of comments from more relevant people than I am, much more relevant, like, you know, typically Elon Musk, Bill Gates, and these kind of, you know, guys. Uh, I think they are on one side, they are like, everyone is very crazy about that, you know, so they are trying, uh, they, they are really eager to, to see that. But on the other side, there is like a very huge amount of fear. <laughs> Because, you know, everyone knows metrics, uh, I mentioned it, and that might be a topic, you know, because like, if like these uh, machines can, you know, think for themselves, uh, nobody knows, you know, what might help. And I think there are like many uh, options, how we can handle it. Uh, and we'll see how the regulariz uh, regularization you know, of this like effort, you know, will come handy. Because obviously, you know, these, tools will be able to do something up to the point what we will allow them maybe we still have it in our hands you know so yeah we can control it so far but obviously you know even like uh, the worst case scenarios might happen you know nobody knows yeah yeah in this matter i would definitely recommend this nick bostrom ted talk and he actually is you know giving the paraphrases to the internet you know, there is no off switch of the internet, and he see the risk that it can same happen to the through AI also. But that's for another discussion. But <laughs> of course, also you know, AI is quite connected with the with the cloud technologies, so business. So I think um, there is a few questions from Vlad regarding that. 
Yeah, so first of all, you know, thanks for the, for making the introduction, right, to, to the industry and providing a bit more insights to the audience regarding what they can do with these powerful tools and predicting a bit how the near future will look like, because, you know, 2030 is just about the corner, if I if I can call it like this. Yeah. And everything is it's related on technology. So, you know, we are taking the opportunity today, since you are both the CEO, but also the CTO of the company, so with a lot of hands-on experience, so in your opinion, what technologies are the most important, right, for creating what you are doing on a, on a daily basis, that those being the neural networking and uh, allowing the machine to predict what will happen next for the customers? Yeah, uh, a good question. You know, as I said, uh, everything uh, tends to be, you know, much more simpler for everyone, you know. So at the end of the day, these quite new things might happen even through some api so, so I, i'm gonna skip it you know because like this is this is something that you are probably asking for uh yeah but from from the perspective of like something like a standard neural network or how it's called like the discipline is called like deep learning uh the software is quite, quite clear you know usually these things if you are not you know need something that will run on a mobile phone or whatever uh typically it's being coded in python language you know so this is like uh, the only language to go i would say mostly and uh, you can choose one of the deep learning frameworks typically there are like many of those uh, but i think most uh, famous ones and most used ones are either like tensorflow or or pytorch from from facebook so these are like two common things if i'm going to tell i think the the hardware part is also important because like we already discussed you know uh, that for those like very new trendy neural uh, neural networks i think very heavy uh, you know uh, compute power was uh, was used uh, so i think it depends what kind of like uh, what kind of uh, problem you are solving because if it's if it's like tabular problem so everything is like coded in the table or like some kind of relational table and you are for instance doing some classification regression or whatever uh, my preference would be not to use some neural networks because like some some old school you know approaches are still better like uh, you know decision trees and these kind of things they're, they're still like state of the art but they're not not like neural networks but you can use like pretty similar uh, framework for it but you know if we are talking about what it, what might be very handy for uh, like use case for these deep neural networks are typically like uh, uh, video videos images sounds uh, something like this uh, or text of course and for that uh, i think you should use like gpu enabled uh, virtual machines or just laptops or whatever you have so yeah, that's also like important because like if you're like processing something that have like many dimensions which you know these uh, kind of like uh, data sources are uh, you need something more powerful well, thanks a lot, Carol. Uh, you know, I, I'll come back a bit later to the um, to the hardware part, right? And if there are customers, like for example, can build something like this on-prem, but from the existing AI software as a service is available nowadays on the market, and I'm referring to a lot of you know APIs like OCRs, text-to-speech, image recognition. Are you already using this for your customers? And if so, do you see the value of those being used for the customers? Yeah, so if I if I will skip, you know, these software stuff, things that are there, <laughs> I think it's, uh, I think they have like a lot of pros and a lo lot of cons. And I think it's good they are there because, you know, these things are typically very hard to somehow implement on your own if you don't possess something already. Uh, but yeah, if, if I will skip it, uh, I think uh, most of the cloud vendors provide something like a, that is like ML software or ML, ML stack and data software, uh, you know, um, tools, toolkit. 
uh, that is also equipped with some ML support, you know. So uh, I can I can mention. I, I would start with something where where you will implement the first prototype, you know, some POC. So this is typical some studio, something like a Jupiter Hub, you know, you you know this stuff. Uh, so I can mention, you know, Azure have ML, uh, Azure ML, uh, Azure ML uh, AWS gets HMaker, and so Google got Kubeflow or something similar. So you can use like these platforms just to make a prototype or even more, you know. Uh, what is also trendy these days, uh, it's also uh, open source. I think it origin originally came from Databricks, uh, you know, um, company, or at least the founder of the company. Um, it's a technology that is called MLflow. It's open source from the very beginning. And uh, to be honest, it was quite hard to run it, you know. So most companies started it there. They were running it on Kubernetes platform. And typically, uh, the good thing is that most of these platforms that I mentioned before have MLflow, you know, and built. That's quite cool. You know, that's like a standard unified interface that most of the companies, most of the projects are using across the world, no matter what cloud it is, no matter what technology they are using. So uh, this is a very nice interface. Not just interface between like the different technologies and different clouds, but also the, uh, the nice interface between uh, two teams because usually have you have like some team that is like uh, you know uh, dealing with the data and some team that is dealing with with the AI slash ML code, you know. And you know these teams needs to communicate because like typically the data team are preparing the data for the other team and vice versa. And basically uh, this the, this way you can basically somehow wrap. Uh, the AI model slash ML model, you know, as a plugin for the ordinary data pipeline, you know, that's that's quite cool. That's quite amazing, you know, because it facilitates everything. Uh, maybe last two things uh, that came into my mind is uh, first thing is uh, the feature store. Uh, I, I don't know if you if you know that like kind of the technology. I think it uh, it has been here you know for a while, but uh, most of the most of the these vendors also have this like technology inbuilt. And this is something that will like help you to uh, be more, uh, I would say, reproducible or to reuse something that has been built, you know, previously. For instance, you know, something that is typical is something like a propensity modeling. Uh, that means that you know you are building the model that, that, that are trying to say what is the propensity of the client that he will buy some product, you know. And this is like a typical scenario when like 80% of the features of the inputs uh, are quite the same. And you do not want to reinvent the wheel every time, you know. So this is uh, so you will use feature store. This will do the trick for you, and you will just get the features, and you get like 80 percent of the of the things done. And last thing, uh, and that's quite cool, you know, because everywhere you can see no code or low code, you know, initiatives. And there is also the answer for for uh, for the machine learning, and I think this trend will continue definitely. And that's uh, definitely AutoML. Uh, I do not need to mention the tools, but yeah, there are like many tools included in, in the cloud vendor provide uh, you know solutions uh, or some third parties. So that's that's the main thing I would say. Well, thanks a lot, you know, for for making this inventory of the available tools on the market. Now uh, I'll get back to a, a previous question, and I need to to start by making a confess. I used to be part of a big corporation in the past, and all the time when we were trying to implement something, it was all about the data. Right, and data is definitely the the key valuable part here in the the AI models. To put it like this, um, how hard is for you, right? Or what does a company needs to know when they are building these kind of models, right? Uh, how do you keep the the model in shape for them? What are the the, the preliminary steps that we will need to take as a company to have the data cleaned and be ready for uh, for the AI models? 
Can you elaborate a bit on this based on your experience with your customers? Yeah, yeah definitely. Uh, yeah, I think this this area is like shaping these days because like before that it was like I, I can say punk, you know, <laughs> not not just for us, but I think for everyone, you know, that's why this like discipline like was established. I, I can say this, this way. But yeah, I think the trend these days, if I will skip the data quality, because data quality is like the discipline for itself. I think it's like a different area than the AI or machine learning itself. It's a data quality discipline. Uh, yeah, but, but but there is also the part that is like very specific for, for the ML workload. But yeah, the typical uh, example, I think this area is typically called MLOps. You know, you know that you know that buzzword, and this is like you can hear it like everywhere. More and more and more common these days. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I, I think the general practice. I think there are like some additions, of course, but the best practice is to handle uh, the ML model development as standard software. You no know, development. With some additional items, of course. And the import, important part is observability, not just during the runtime, but also during the build and deployment. And for, for the later part, we usually use something like a multi-stage process of validations before we will push model towards the production. So before we will actually use it or it's being used by the final customers. And this process typically uses like, I, would, I think there will be like a huge list of items, but maybe just to emphasize uh, several of them, I think, like in standard software development, you need to ensure the quality. So basically, there should be some unit tests, statical tests, uh, integration tests. Of course, you need to evaluate the performance in every stage. So you need basically to be sure that the model that is quite new and you are trying to somehow swap for the model that is running in production, uh, obviously need to be better or at least like a, uh, as same good as, uh, as, as the target one. Obviously, you need to uh, like continuously evaluate the performance of the model that is running on the production as well, because you need to react if something is happened or if, if there is like apparent degradation of the model that is that is that is being used. And you know, the last thing that you mentioned is data quality. Uh, I do not want to address the data quality part of the data itself, but for the models, you are typically using something that is, for instance, uh, categorical variables. You know, so you got like very simply, uh, you got like. A variable that can have like three up to three uh, items or you know mm, options and one day there is like a fourth one you know and this is something that model can't work with you know because you know he have like something that is called embedding so he know how to decode our encoding information and that and if the fourth one will come there is a huge problem so you need to solve it and for it, I think these frameworks and these like platforms uh, have like something that is called like data drift detection. So it can detect, you know, these kind of like coming data, uh, I would say upfront, so we can react. And, you know, this should block you to uh, deploy the model towards the production. And the last thing, I mentioned it like partially, but uh, there's like a clear separation between the team that is like operating the solution and that is like building the solution. Because the team that typically operates the solution is not the AI one, because like these these people do not want to operate, you know, something that they do not want to hold the support and so on and so forth. So typically, the, the team that is doing that is the data engineering team. So that means that uh, you need to somehow plug them uh, the code. We already discussed the way how it should be done, for instance. You know, but you need to also uh, somehow make the model as robust as possible. So they will be able to somehow, maybe in the worst case, restart the solution and it's going to work, you know, because they couldn't, you know, re-implement or change everything that is inside of the ML pipeline, you know, so that's, that's the thing.
So, Carol, thanks a lot. I mean, we we started with a small question, but I think we, we have a great outcome. So we have the milestones that we will need. We have the teams, definitely, and the way how these, co these teams are cooperating together. So thank you very much for that. And one last probably question from my side, because it's more like an affinity since we are doing the, the cloud technologies on a daily basis. If you need to choose for a customer to work with their on-prem solution or on-prem infrastructure and the cloud one, what will be your first choice and why? Uh, don't me ask for that question. <laughs> no, no, uh, absolutely. If, if you, I think for this kind of solution, also it, it used to be seven years ago, uh, there were like much more pressure for it, but also these days, there's like a huge pressure for ROI or time to market, you know, and definitely the cloud, the cloud is faster, you know, that's that from this perspective. And we can also handle it on, on the on-premise. Typically, the answer how to somehow mimic what is happening in cloud is Kubernetes platform, some containerized solution. Uh, this way, you can achieve something similar, uh, maybe even similar time to market, but there's like definitely more work behind it. You know, it, it, what I wanted to, to basically summarize that you, you can basically deploy the solution on either on-prem and on cloud, but definitely, you know, if you want to, to be faster, to scale faster, probably we like it or not, cloud is the, 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 the choice, uh, the choice to go for. Now we will continue mm -hmm. with, with another part that is going to be handled by JJ, because we've discussed a lot of topics and now we would like to have a bit more understanding or be a bit more clear for our, our audience. So JJ, I'm, I'm back. I'm coming back to you with the, the topics that you would like to address. Thank you very much, Karel. Thanks, Vlad. You know we are going almost to the finish, though. So usually, usually we are finishing uh, with um, with let's say more easiness, I would say. So two last topics. First is actually explain to me as I would be five years old few of the topics. And the first thing, Karla, how do you explain the ne neural network to the five-year-old child? Can you try it, please? Yeah, that, that would be quite a tough question. Uh, I know that there, there is like a book that is called like a neural network for babies. <laughs> I think mm -hmm. it's like three plus, you know, I, I don't know how they are reading it. Maybe their parents, but nobody knows. Uh, just to make it short, maybe my answer would be something like a computer version of a human brain. But, you know, with respect to the things that we mentioned before, I would rather add damaged one, you know. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. That's actually a really good, good answer. Thanks for that. And, you know, we've already explained before the singularity. So thanks for that also during the, during the, uh, interview so maybe one more topic how you would you know explain to the five-year-old the solution architect at all um another tricky question um uh, not sure if it's gonna be taken by the five-year-old but maybe a person that creates something like a technical vision for a solution to a business problem something like this <laughs> very hard one okay perfect perfect and maybe you know let's go to the last point it's more about the inspiration to the listeners because you are the expert in the field of AI. But uh, there can be many people actually curious about that. So could you recommend some resources, some inspiration, you know, what to read, what to listen, you know, what, what to watch to get more, more familiar with the, with the AI, I would say, in general or in the technology 
what what do you read and and watch and yeah yeah i'm subscriber of many newsletters so i couldn't name one but you know if you if you really don't have time and you really want to be in touch you know it's it's really good to somehow subscribe or at least follow some companies like google um uh, deep mind uh, you know open ai uh, on twitter definitely i think most of the things are shared there obviously with delay that, because like this is like and this is a channel for promotions rather than you know the sharing of the knowledge between the researchers but you know what might be handy is uh like streetman podcast i think you know that it's one of the most famous podcasts on, on the world at least with respect to data or ai there are like very uh, amazing guests there um, i think elon was there like twice uh, there were like uh, other speakers uh, who is like also famous um, in ai field andre karpati if you know him he's got a blog so every month i think he's sharing like advice uh, to uh, two articles if you really want to be more hands hands on and uh, you know see it like a very funny way uh, you know maybe it's it's not a topic these days but there is a guy he's got a youtube channel it's called he's called like siraj raval and you know he's he's doing like five minutes video videos about some some trendy things in ai ml uh, it's really hard to somehow follow him because he's really, really fast. <laughs> but yeah, there are like some uh, links to the GitHub. He's doing some exercises, customization, and it's it's rather the fun, uh, like fun, uh, fun source of information. But yeah, it might be handy as well. <laughs> and maybe the last thing, if I may afford a little bit of advertisement, we got uh, the podcast as well. Uh, it's called Data Talk. And we got uh, the newsletter as well, and we got some meetups for the data and AI professionals. So, yeah, uh, it's uh, if you if you write datatalk.cz or datatalk datamesh.cz, you will find more information there. Cool. Thanks for the inspiration. I will add one more. Actually, it's in progress in my education journey, but I really love also elements of AI course. Yeah, I know that. That's that's definitely one of the good ones. Much more harder for me, as let's mm. say, <laughs> uh, amateur in this area than I would expect. Yep. So seems to be all. Carla, thank you, thank a lot for for um, uh, for visiting us on our podcast. Uh, pleasure to meet you guys. Uh, yeah, it was lovely, lovely to meet you. Uh, so uh, we have been having Karol Šimánek, CEO and also solution architect of company Big Hub, and we are Revolgy, leading global cloud partner with experience hands-on team for cloud issues for your companies. We provide professional and managed services for projects on GCP, AWS, Google Workspace, and many more. Check our website or website or podcast of Big Hub and Karel and see you next time. Thank you and bye-bye.